very welcome. Good on you, John. It's great to see you here tonight. I even gave John a call to remind him, but it was fantastic. It was always good to see you here. I'd like to uh, open tonight with the first of a two-part message titled The Covenant-Keeping God. And part two will be given on Sunday morning, and I trust that you may be able to join us there for that. Uh, so uh, the, uh, the subject of the covenant is a vast, vast subject in the Bible, not possible to cover even in two short sessions. We cannot possibly cover it all, but I pray that after uh, tonight and also Sunday's message, we'll get a, a greater grip of what this thing called the covenant is all about. But I'd like if you would turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15, and I'm going to uh, be reading from verses 1 to 6. And uh, I encourage you, if you've got your Bibles with you, there's another spare Bible at the back of the church there, and if you've got a pen and paper, take a few notes, and uh, these will help you. So I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And just with that opening verses there, you can see that the Lord wants to be your shield, wanted to be Abraham's shield, and we are the spiritual seed of Abraham, and your exceedingly great reward. And you think, well, how powerful is that when God says in his word that it's, it's his exceedingly great reward? We read in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 4, Vayar Elohim et kitov, and it says, and the Lord says, and let there be light, and there it was at 300,000 kilometers a second, and kitov means that the Lord said, that good, that's all it says, 300,000 kilometers a second, per second, each and every second, the Lord stands back and says, that's good, but when it's in regard to our great, exceedingly great reward, he, look at the terminology, the terminology there, exceedingly great, and so how good it is, how good is it? When God describes light as just being good, but then our great reward is exceedingly great. How good is that? And so, uh, but his shield and reward is described not as good, but exceedingly great. And uh, just going on from there, Abram basically was saying to God in the next few verses, but I have no heir. He had no children. And so the Lord in verse 5, he says, then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he had accounted it to him for righteousness. And so we hear in Genesis chapter 15, the man called the father of the faith, he believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. So when you take God at his promises... Take God, his word, as his promises and apply it to your life. It accounts to your life as righteousness, just with believing what God says. It's also interesting to note that the Lord brought Abram outside of his tent. And in the Hebrew mindset or a Middle Eastern mindset, to look at something was a sign of its acquisition. So God took Abram out of his tent from navel-gazing, looking at his sagging future, and the Lord brought him out of the tent to look up at the stars. He says, look up and live. It wasn't an ergon statement. It's a Bible statement. Look up and live. And there it is, those stars. That's, don't shake your head there. That was a good one, Beck. 
And so, but look up and live. God wants us to look up. And even in Luke 21, it says, look up and for your redemption draws nigh. Amen? Good stuff. Good stuff. And so, and so he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him as righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, basically out of Babylonia, to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, the Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And in verse 10, then he brought all these to him, that is to God, and cut them in two down the middle and placed each one opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And so we see here that there is a sacrifice, a dividing or a cutting there, and uh, blood was shed because God is just about to cut an agreement with Abraham. Amen. And when the vault, and uh, then he said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants, this is verse 13, will be strangers in a land not theirs, meaning that they were going to go down into Egypt. And, uh, and then it also says, On the same day, in verse 18, on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And so we see also uh, that the covenant in, in the later chapter here, chapter 17, was going to be sealed with the sign of circumcision. And so what is a covenant, you think? A lot of people think, well, it's just an agreement. It's a contract, something that you sign. Uh, but in the Hebrew, when describing what a covenant is, we often words, use words like an agreement, a compact, a pledge, Perhaps a treaty, we use those words. But these words all fall far short of this sacred term which appears more than 250 times in the Old Testament. Covenant is a very, very deep, meaningful word, and those words that I use there fall far short of what God means when he says covenant. The word testament is also a term used for the word covenant. And so that's where we get the Old and the New Testament because it means an Old or and the New Agreement or the Old and the New Testament. Does that make sense? The Old or a New Agreement. So the Old Testament actually contains many covenants, not just one, but many covenants. And as in Genesis chapter 6, and God is speaking to Noah and he says, I will establish my covenant with you. It goes on to say, your sons and your wife and your sons wives with you. So they were able to, Noah's sons and their wives were able to enter into that covenant that God made with Noah. And so it is with covenants. But why has God instituted new covenants throughout the Bible? And the reason is because man has traditionally been a covenant breaker, but God is a covenant keeper. If man was a covenant keeper, God probably would have only ever had to make one covenant. But we continuously break covenant. We break our word. A lot of people said, are you coming? And they say, sure am, sign me up. But on the day, nobody arrives. Why? Because we are not people of our word. But it's wonderful. But James says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. We take our word. You can't make an agreement with anybody these days on just a handshake. Because to mankind has traditionally become covenant breakers. And so the new covenant through the person of Jesus Christ is eternal. 
an eternal covenant which never has to be renewed because Jesus is he's not only the mediator but also the advocate on behalf of man and Jesus shed blood became the eternal sacrifice to seal the eternal covenant. And you'll see throughout scripture that all the agreements that God makes with man and man with God, they are sealed with the shedding of blood. Isn't that interesting? They are all sealed with something. And so covenant is not just another word study in biblical studies we do, like the study of love or grace or peace or something like that. Covenant is far more serious than that. Covenant really is the scaffolding by which everything is attached to and everything operates within that framework. That's what covenant is. So the Old Testament is the old covenants by which everything that God is and was and is to come will hang off that. So it's a scaffolding from which everything can be contained. A covenant can be between individuals as it was between David and Jonathan, between a king and his people, or between God and his people. And so I'll be reflecting tonight and on Sunday about the covenants between God and his people. So the benefits of the relationship when two parties enter into a covenant. So two parties are generally involved in the cutting or the making of a covenant. Covenant in indigenous tribes throughout the world has been common across the world and would have stemmed from the days of Noah and even the days of Nimrod. And so, uh, and so when you enter into a covenant with somebody, all that uh, I have is yours, should you ever need it, and all that you have is available to me, should that I ever need it. That's the uh, purpose of a covenant, whether it be food, clothing, shelter, protection. Uh, so I, I advise when you're making a covenant, make a covenant with somebody rich. <laughs> because all they have becomes yours, and all that is yours becomes theirs. If I am under attack, you will come to my rescue if I have made a covenant with you, and I will come to your rescue should you ever be attacked. So I think also if you're going to have a covenant with someone, choose somebody who's powerful. So this brings us, uh, others may enter this covenant should they so desire. So what happens when a family enters into a covenant the descendants of that family also are part of that covenant. And so an example of that would be in Genesis 17:7, And God says, and I will establish my covenant, that's God's covenant between me and you and your descendants after you, to be God to you. Why? Because God has always wanted relationship. So this brings us now to Genesis chapter 17. Exciting scriptures here. And these are strategic uh, cornerstone scriptures in regard to the covenant in the Bible. And Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. Then he said, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall you be, your name be called Abram, uh, 
but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. What a great promise. And I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And uh, it goes on to say, also I give to you and your descendants after you the land. And so the land of Israel was part of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob's covenant. And uh, in verse 10, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. And then the sealing of this particular covenant is the covenant of circumcision. And so from verses 10 to 13 describe that the male, male children eight days and older were to be circumcised as a sign that they too had entered into this Abrahamic covenant. Biblical covenants establish and solidify relationships and covenants between God and man make this possible. And so a covenant is all about, because God is all about relationships. He not only wants to dwell with you, but he wants to dwell in you, made possible by the New Testament covenant through the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Isn't that exciting stuff? Not just God with you, but God in you. Amen? So we see in Genesis 15.10... There is a sealing of the covenant, or the, it was signed by the blood sacrifice of circumcision. And uh, in, uh, in uh, chapters 15, we see when God made a covenant with Abraham, uh, animals were cut or divided to seal and to bring into union this divine relationship between God and between Abraham and God. And so God moved between the divided play, uh, pieces of the sacrifice in verse 17. And, and Hebrew uh, uh, theology teaches us that, that, that the God moved between the sacrifice in the figure eight sideways between. And so we see that is the sign of an eternal covenant. Covenants in the sight of God. You know that figure eight on its side is the side of eternity? And so God moves in that figure eight between the sacrificial pieces of the animal sacrifice. Incredible, isn't it? A sign, too, of the eternal. God is a, a covenant-keeping God. Amen? He never breaks his word. And so God moved between those divided places. Also, we see that Abram's name is changed to Abraham, meaning not just the father of a multitude, but the father of many nations. And you see that in, in all the Hebrew writings, that every word has a meaning. And so you can trace those meanings and see how how God works in a more detailed way. So God changed Abram's name not uh, without deed pole. He gave him a new identity, amen? And he was reminded of the promise every time someone called his name. Every time someone said, Abraham, Abraham. Now, he was, a, he was no small fish. He was a rich man. He was a wealthy man. He was an influential man. And no longer did they call him Abram, but they called him Abraham. So imagine somebody calling out to you many times during the day because he would have had many workers working for him, a lot of people in his, around in his tents. And every time they called his name, it was father of many nations, father of many nations. Isn't that incredible? 
And because you can see that the kingdom of heaven is voice activated. It's true, isn't it? The kingdom of heaven is voice activated. By the fruit of your lips you shall establish things. And so Abraham, Abraham, every time someone called him, it was father of many nations, father of many nations, and they were speaking it into being. He took Hagar, his wife's servant, and had a child, and they produced an Ishmael. But Ishmael was not to be an inherit, come into this inheritance or in this covenant. They entered into a different covenant, and we can see that in Genesis there as well, in chapter 15 and 16. And so... Uh, but Abraham, father of a multitude, to Abraham, father of many nations. And God has no problems when he wants to do something special with somebody. He often gives them a new name. Jacob, the deceiver, after he wrestled with God, became prince with God, Israel. I mean, that's what Israel means, prince with God. When you wrestle with God, God will give you a new name. He'll give you a new nature. You're born again of the spirit of the living God. Saul became Paul after he encountered the risen Christ. Amen? I preached about that a week or so ago. And you too, when you encounter and, and enter into this blood covenant through Jesus, you become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen? So today is the day of salvation for someone here today. I believe that to be so. Whether you're listening online, I was hoping that some other people would be here tonight, but I believe there's salvation for people here tonight whether you're listening online or not. So who are we making covenant with? As I said, if you're going to make an agreement like this, you're hitching your life up with somebody permanently, amen? You want to make an agreement. If you're going to get married and make a covenant, enter into a covenant of marriage, you want to make sure you're hitching your life up with someone good, amen? And so when you're making in this eternal covenant, it's good to remind ourselves who it is who's making a covenant with and who we are entering into a covenant with. Not only is he uh, the God of all creation. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, Bereshit bara Elohim, which is plural for gods. Amen? And, and there he is, creator God. And so Elohim, the creator God in Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, and he's not yet revealed as yud heh vav Yahuwah, the I am that I am, or I will be that I will be, 500 years later, God revealed himself to Moses as the I am that I am. But God introduced himself to Abraham at this time as I am almighty God. Whoa, that's who you're making a covenant with. I am almighty God. And so there's always a progressive revelation of God to man as you read the Bible. And so we saw in Genesis chapter 1, he was introduced to us as the creator God. But so now he introduces to as El Shaddai, uh, which is uh, the El is the shortened form of Elohim, and Shaddai is uh, uh, Almighty. So it is, I am God Almighty, or I am Almighty God, which means it's, I, who are you making covenant with? It's somebody who is powerful, from the Hebrew verb Shaddad, meaning mighty, in other words, it is an unconquerable God. Isn't it good that God has made, you have made a covenant with God and God with you, and he is an unconquerable God. Isn't it good to know that you serve an unconquerable God? Can I have an amen in the house tonight? <laughs> Can I check your pulse out there? 
and the all-sufficient God is eternally capable of being all that his people need. Eternally capable. Sometimes during the course of our life, we, have, we are capable of doing a lot of things. I remember 30-odd years ago of being physically capable of doing a lot more than I can now. But I'm not eternally capable in that same way. But God is eternally capable and eternally has the ability to be your all-sufficient God and all that his people need. In other, in other words, whatever you need, God can supply. Your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, can supply every need that you have. And so what do you need God to be at this time in your life? Is there anything there? Do you have any needs? Perhaps it's a health issue. Perhaps it's a finance issue. Perhaps it's a salvation issue. Do you need salvation? Which is what Yeshua, Jesus, means. Yeshua is what it is in the Hebrew, and that means salvation. Jesus means salvation. Do you need to be defended, to, protect, to be protected, to be preserved or sustained, to supplied? What about healing? Do you need healing tonight? What about the restoring or the mediator or an advocate? Do you need any of those things? And so my question to people here today is, because I never assume that everybody sitting in the church is in right relationship with God. I think it's imperative that we ask ourselves every time we meet, is there anybody here today who is not in right relationship with God? Have you come into covenant relationship with God Almighty through the person of God's Son who is Jesus Christ? Have you accepted Jesus Christ to be the Lord and saviour of your life? And are you living for him? My question last week was, have you met the resurrected Christ? Amen? Have you had that Saul on the road to Damascus experience? I pray that you have. I really, if for those listening online, you may be driving along. I pray that you've met with the risen Christ. The New Testament word for covenant is the Greek word diatheke. It's an extraordinary word because it illustrates that a covenant relationship with God weighs heavily on the advantage of one party being the greatest benefactor. And you think, well, what's this really mean? And I, I think in the terms of, you know, what is man that you are mindful of him, said the psalmist. And then, well, in other words, is God really in his right mind? when he says that I would like to come into a covenant relationship with you and I, I'm thinking, wow, this grace, this love of God extends. And to get a, a, to get a bit of a comprehension of how vast this thing is that God would stoop so low to make a covenant relationship with me, I'm thinking, wow, it, it, just in the it's not a very good illustration, but it's the only one that I can think of at this present time, just in regard to finances alone. It would be the same as Bill Gates knocking on your door and saying, Beck, I'd like to make a financial arrangement with you. Everything that I have is yours, and everything that you have is mine. And that would be a perfect illustration then of somebody at a level like this coming right down to make himself equivalent and exchanging. It's called the great exchange, isn't it? 
bringing all of our poverty to God in exchange for all of his riches. And I think again, what is man that you are mindful of him? Just in closing now, uh, uh, an, another uh, illustration, and I have others as well, but uh, when David Livingstone was exploring what was then called the dark continent of Africa, remember that a couple of hundred years ago, most of Africa was called the dark continent because it was unexplored, it was uncharted, it was unmapped. All the local tribal people knew their own regional areas, but that is as far as it was. And there was a missionary named David, Dr. David Livingston who went in there. And uh, after a couple of years, he was unheard of. And so they sent in uh, another explorer named Stanley to go and find him. And so Stanley went through uh, the equatorial regions of Africa. And uh, it was a very, very dangerous job uh, because a, a lot of those equatorial tribes, a lot of them were very, very powerful tribes, and somebody was taken on his territory. And so his interpreters invited, advised Stanley, he said, when you come into this region, there is a strong chieftain king here. He says, I advise you to make a covenant agreement with this chief. Stanley had no knowledge of what a covenant agreement was. But all the indigenous tribes around the whole of the earth are very, very aware of what a covenant agreement is. They're called blood covenants. And they have the things like becoming blood brothers and all these sorts of things. It is based really on Genesis covenants and the covenants of Noah. And so we see that uh, he, uh, after a while, uh, because it, it required the cutting of blood and things a little bit gruesome, Stanley wasn't that keen. But he felt himself in a very dangerous and precarious situation and he made a covenant with the chieftain king. And in exchange, the chieftain king gave him his spear. And so it was the sign of a covenant or agreement being uh, cut with this tribal chief. Stanley then went throughout the whole regions of Africa carrying this spear and he found that he no longer needed to defend himself. All his stores of food and so forth, he no longer needed to defend because everybody, when they saw the spear, realized that he had cut a covenant with one of the most powerful tribes there in Africa. You see how that blood covenant was so powerful in its day. But you and I have a covenant with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The monarch of the universe is the one whom you have an agreement with. And you should be excited about this amazing covenant that you and I have. And it's a diatheke covenant, meaning that it's, it seems to benefit us and not God at all. And we bring to God our brokenness and he gives us his wholeness. We bring to him our poverty and heaven's riches and resources become ours. We bring to him, to him our sickness and he says, I am the Lord your God who heals thee. We bring our enemies to him and he's the captain of the Lord of hosts and uh, we bring to him our sin and he brings to us his deliverance. It's a good news, isn't it? And the list goes on and on. It's a beautiful message. It's, a, it's an amazing message. I've only just touched on this vast subject called the covenant, the blood covenants of God. And uh, I trust as you stand to your feet right now, 
if you would just stand to your feet. We're just going to pray and uh, that God would uh, just reveal to each and every one of us revelation is what we need, not information. Amen? Revelation and inspiration come from God and they are God-breathed. I pray right now that the Spirit of the living God would breathe upon each and every one of us, Lord God, right now. For those even listening online, I pray, revelation come, that we have a covenant eternal agreement with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Oh, how boldly we would walk, how differently we would talk when we would know and be assured of who we have, of who our daddy is, Father, in the name of Jesus. I thank you that you are almighty God. You are the unconquerable king in Jesus' name. And you have made an agreement with us and that we, it is signed with the precious blood of Jesus. Signed, sealed, and delivered. I thank you that we are blood covenant bought, purchased. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. Because of this covenant, this eternal covenant that we have in the person of Yeshua HaMashiach. I pray in Jesus' name. Seal this message. Seal this word. And bring revelation, Lord, in the coming days to each and every one of us of this almighty and powerful thing that you instituted with us because you wanted relationship and fellowship with us. In Jesus' name.